According to the 2013 Financial Literacy Survey sponsored by the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, 77% of respondents admitted to having financial worries. And with us coming up on April as Financial Literacy Month, we thought we'd discuss today managing your finances through each stage of life with Bill Hardikoff, CEO of LowCards.com. Welcome, Bill. Well, thank you guys for having me on. We're really looking forward to that. And with April right around the corner and being Financial Literacy Month, we thought what better guest to have than someone who helps people manage their debt. And more specifically, you help people get a good deal on credit cards with your website. Is that right? Right. Lowcards.com is a free consumer resource that really has everything you want to know about credit cards, the best ones, what the pros and cons are of each one, what all the rates are. It's a very confusing industry, and we try and simplify it for everybody. One of the biggest challenges today is that financial literacy, and I know there was a survey done by the National Foundation of Credit Counseling where something like 40% of Americans, when surveyed, gave themselves a grade of C, D, and F for their knowledge on personal finance. And when it comes to managing debt, I mean, we've all read the stories about consumer debt and all the challenges and problems that there are. So let's talk about some financial management tips for each stage of life and things we can do better to teach our kids, what we can do for ourselves, and maybe become a little bit more financially literate. So tell us about the teenagers in that stage of life, what things they can do to be better stewards of their money. Well, I think it really starts with us as parents. I think we do a terrible job in general of training our kids to be financially responsible. You know, when you think about it, we train our kids to ride a bike and drive a car. We even potty train them, but we don't do much training when it comes to financial management how to save money, with their allowance, how to earn it, how to spend it. We bail kids out when they get in trouble. So I think one of the best things we can do as parents, even before they get to be teenagers, is to train children to be financially responsible. If we do that, I think some of the problems that they encounter in their lives, typically speaking, would be eliminated. Yeah, that's a great point, and I guess the only thing that concerns me about that reality, Bill, is when we go back to that 2013 financial literacy survey, I think I saw in there 77% of respondents admitted to having financial worries themselves. So there might be that parental generation that may not understand money themselves. Well, that's very true, but you know, I think we can turn that negative into a positive. If you've experienced credit card debt and you're a parent and your kid is about to get a credit card, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, these are the problems that I encountered in my life. Here's how I got into debt. Learn from me and my mistakes. Have an honest conversation with them about some of the problems that you encountered and what the consequences of those were. I think that could be a good learning experience. Yeah, I'm just thinking about my own daughter who's 15 and she's a high school student and through her French class, they're taking a trip to Quebec. And of course, you're dealing there with financial issues of foreign cash. Also, we're making sure that she has a debit card and understands what that means versus a credit card. It gave us a great opportunity to talk about many things. We're establishing a budget for when she's on the trip. We're obviously talking about how we can make sure in an emergency, if we had to, we can transition more money to that debit card. So there was a lot of opportunity to have that discussion. Now, being a financial advisor, of course, we also hope we'd want to believe we take more time than maybe the average American to educate our kids about money. And we 
talk in our household about the importance of saving. So maybe touch on that. Where does that teenager start as far as saving now? One of the best things that a teenager can do is start a savings account right off the bat. If you get into that mindset, if you get into that habit, that will carry on throughout your young adult and adult life. And I think you'll save a lot more. If you earn money from an allowance or a job that you have, put some money into savings right off the bat and start to develop that habit. As you mentioned earlier about your daughter's trip, make a budget. That's one thing that we as adults don't do a very good job of, much less kids. But learn to make a budget right from the start. Figure out where your money's going, how much you have coming in, where you spend it, and keep a list of those expenses so you can start to track it, and I think you'll be able to save more. Now let's talk about young adults. I just met with my daughter this weekend and she's a college student and we were spending a lot of time talking about these same issues of having a budget and saving and not spending more than you make. It was kind of scary some of the things she told me because she had somebody she knew in college had their car repossessed. Some of them have maxed out on all their credit cards and student loans, and they kind of look at it as just kind of free money, and then when it's time to pay, they never really took the time to figure out what the impact of all these loans was going to be. So what kind of tips do you have for young adults? Well, you are very right. Young adults do not do a very good job of realizing some of the expenses that they might be racking up and the debt that they're incurring and what that might do to them in the long term. That's why a budget that we talked about for teenagers is so good is that you start to track your spending. When it comes to being a young adult, you need to, number one, not only save, but start to put money into your retirement. It sounds crazy that somebody right out of college would start to put money into a retirement account. That's probably the farthest thing from their mind. But one of the beauties of it is the compounding interest that will take place over that next 40 years. It sounds crazy now, but it will be so beneficial when you reach the retirement age. The other thing to really concentrate on is building your credit score. You need to do everything you can to get your score as high as possible because if you get your credit score high when it comes time to, say, getting a loan for a car or a house, the higher your score is, the lower your interest rate could be, and that could result in saving a great deal of money in the long term. It's interesting because I think the credit score thing is something that most people just don't realize how important that impact is. Sometimes you'll have employers that'll actually check a credit score before making a hiring decision. I know we've had auto and homeowners insurance specialists saying that a lot of those policies to get into their preferred rates might check the credit score, might actually go into the rating system. So it goes well beyond just even getting a home loan. And I know there was supposed to be in January a much more stringent to get preferred loans for a house where the best rates were only going to be available to the very highest of scores. And if you don't get on that early, it's really sometimes can be very challenging and difficult to repair, especially if you've got yourself so overwhelmed in debt that you might just dig yourself such a deep hole, it's hard to ever get out of it. And if you're always paying a much higher interest rate because you had a lower credit score, it's really hard to get that debt paid off. So now you can qualify for maybe a higher credit score. Is that right? Well, you're absolutely right. One of the things that happens to a lot of young adults 
is they do incur quite a bit of credit card debt. And once you dig yourself in that hole, not only are you paying tremendous amounts of interest, but it's lowering your credit score. And when you do lower your credit score, you're going to pay a tremendous amount more money in future loans. So what you need to do is increase that credit score, be very diligent, very persistent in that. Pay all your bills on time is one way to raise your credit score. Don't ever, ever make a late payment. Pay as much as you can if you incur any debt, say on credit cards. Pay that debt off as quickly as possible. That lowers your debt utilization ratio, one of the major components of your credit score. Don't hop from one credit card to another, just opening up new accounts. One of the attributes of your credit score is the longevity of you being a customer with a particular issuer. So those are three quick things you can do to increase your credit score. But mark my word, that's one of the most important numerical scores that you will have the rest of your life. And how does coordinating with your school debt, for example, because young adults are challenged with, I keep hearing the common theme, and I'm sure it's true with every stage of life, you still really have to go back to that teenage year of establishing that budget habit, because now you're trying to decide, what do I pay down towards school debt? Do I have any credit card balances? Now I'm having to absorb some expenses of lifestyle that maybe my folks covered before. Plus, I want to start saving for retirement. There's no doubt having 30 to 40 years to accumulate money, maybe using a Roth IRA or other long-term tax-deferred, tax-preferred account makes a lot of sense. What's that impact or what comments do you have about dealing with the school debt and how fast they can pay it down? If you have incurred any kind of debt, what you really need to do is take out a spreadsheet and write down all the different accounts that you are indebted to. If it's a credit card account, if it's a student loan, if it's whatever it might be, write down the amount that you're in debt, what the interest payments are, what the minimum payments are each month, just so you can see it at a glance where all your debt is. And then what you need to do, it becomes financially prudent to pay the highest debt or the one that you're incurring the greatest interest payment on, whatever the highest APR is, you need to pay that off as quickly as possible because that's the one that's costing you the most money. Typically, that will be a credit card because credit cards are unsecured loans. They have to be. They're charged a higher interest rate than a secured loan, like something like a car loan. So make sure you can assess what the highest APR is, what loan is costing you the most, and work like a dog to pay that off as quickly as possible. That's fantastic. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about the remaining stages of life and how to plan for those. Please stay tuned. Don't forget to visit the Resources for You section on your Real Wealth Professionals website. You'll find links to many educational tools and resources. You'll also find a must-read section including many great authors who have been guests on past programs. Feel free to order any books that interest you or someone you know. Welcome back as we continue a very informative conversation today with Bill Hardikoff, who is the CEO of LowCards.com. Bill, you've been sharing with us your philosophy and strategies at dealing with managing your finances during each stage of life. Before the break, we were talking about the teenage, young adult phase and the importance of building your credit score, having a budget, and starting to save towards retirement. It's interesting when you referenced that 2013 financial literacy survey that was done by the National Foundation for credit counseling that 57% of Americans indicated that they're now worried over the lack of savings. And that's 
really evident that people need to work with a professional today and get some guidance because they're not maybe knowing how to do it themselves. So we should talk about that next phase of life, which is transitioning from young adult to newlywed. That certainly adds a whole nother complexity to planning for the future. Share with us some ideas of what newlyweds should be doing for planning for their finances. Well, you can hear all the married people say amen. It does get a lot harder when a second person comes into your financial picture. It's no longer you making all the calls. That could be a good thing and that could be a bad thing. It depends on your marriage partner. When you do get married, one of the things you should do while you're dating, and this sounds very unromantic, is just have a full disclosure of all your debt and financial obligations to one another. If you walk into a marriage and you have no idea that your spouse has $50,000 worth of debt, that's going to present some financial problems for you two as a couple, and that can add quite a bit of stress into the marriage. So one of the things you want to do is disclose in some way all the student loans, the car loans, the credit card debt, the loans you have from your parents to your future spouse. Take a look at what your credit reports are for both of you. I can think of nothing more unromantic than that, but that is something that you need to do so you know what you're getting into. And then once you have disclosed all that, really have a frank discussion as to what kind of spender or saver you are. Take an honest assessment and share that with your future spouse. You need to figure out, gee, what kind of problems are we going to have together? What can we do to overcome those? And then finally, decide how you're going to handle the money. Are we going to have a joint bank account where all the money goes into one account? Or are we going to have individual bank accounts and you pay for this and I pay for that? Those are discussions that need to be had, and they need to be very honest and open, I think, before you get married. I think those are all excellent points, and I know we've all read the statistics where, give or take a little bit, roughly 50% of marriages don't work. And then beyond that, I know when you look at reasons for marriages breaking apart, finance usually shows up in the top four or five reasons why marriages don't work. And if you don't get off on the right foot by making sure you understand each other's circumstances and have a little bit of a plan there, Tony and I are always big fans of, especially if you're newlyweds, sit down with a professional that can help identify what the issues are and help you work through those so that you can have a successful marriage. Now let's transition, Bill, to midlife. What are some of the issues that can help people or that they should pay closer attention to once they reach the midlife stage? Well, again, it gets harder when more people come into the picture. Usually in midlife, you're having kids. And once you have kids, there are a lot more expenses. And then you start to think about their future. And, gee, how are we going to pay for college? You know, one of the things you need to do is have a plan for how to save enough money for some of those expenses that will come throughout the children's life, whether that's college, whether that's a daughter's wedding or a son's wedding, you need to start saving for college probably the day you bring the kid home from the hospital. There are all sorts of 529 plans and educational savings accounts that are available now. As you mentioned, you might need to get some help from a financial planner or a consultant. If you do inherit money, sometimes your parents pass away leaving you money, you should have a good idea of what to do with that money how to set up an emergency fund. 
that I think every couple should have because you never know when a child might get sick or you may get laid off. You need to have money in an emergency fund in case something tragic happens. What about at this phase of life, the importance of just teaching kids? I mean, this this is a theme that really should be throughout life, but there's got to be ways for parents to share with their kids about finances versus we know that it's really not being addressed in schools as much as it should be. So do you think there's that presumption that parents believe that it's being covered at school or maybe just their own lack of knowledge that they don't take that time to educate their kids? Well, I don't think it's being covered in many schools at all. And even if it is, it's your responsibility or our responsibility as a parent to get our kids properly trained to tackle this for the future. As we talked about earlier, this is one of the most important responsibilities we have as parents because so many problems can result in the future for our kids if they're not properly trained on how to handle money. So open up a bank account for them. Give them an allowance, but make them earn it. It shouldn't just be given. They need to earn it just like you would in a workplace and let them save and spend their money. And if they spend money and they blow it on something stupid like we all did as kids, let them suffer for a while. They don't have the money a week from now because they blew it on something stupid. Well, they have to forego buying something else. Don't bail them out. That will teach them that there are consequences to making bad financial decisions. I think there's so many teachable moments that we have, whether it be on a vacation, whether having to do with allowances or spending money or our own mistakes, it's very good to take those teachable moments and drive some of those points home. One of the methods we use in our house is when I talk to my kids about a process I call earn, tax, share, save, spend. And those are different phases, just like we're going through today. Obviously, when you earn a buck or in some of my kids' cases, they're getting a gift, that money generally when it's earnings first has to be taxed so once you earn it then it has to be taxed well just jokingly right now in my household i'm my children's government so they send me 10 percent. so <laughs> i got to teach them something so after they've earned it they've got to pay some tax on it then they earn tax share the next phase is can you commit to 10 percent of that to an important organization your church or charity and so it's teaching giving back at an early phase then after earn tax share then it's saved Can we allocate 10 to 15% of your earnings to savings? I would challenge any young adult, if they're able to do that, they'll be very financially sound well into retirement to be able to allocate 10 or 15% of their savings. Gosh, for a long time, America had a negative savings rate. So anything towards the positive makes sense. And then finally, the category is spend. If we can talk about how to appropriately do that, needs versus wants, it just gives us kind of an outline to stick with each time that they have some money come in and walk them through a process of reality and how life works today. So maybe that's a takeaway some parents listening today can use with their children. When my wife and I, we have three kids, and when we would take a vacation, one of the things that we got a kick out of is we would give our kids a daily packet of money, and that would be their meal money and a little bit of spending money. So many times when you're on vacation, you get those dreaded questions. Hey, can I buy this? Can I buy that? Can you buy me this? And so what we did is we thought it out ahead of time. And if we were gone for five days, we would have five different packets for each kid of meal money. And that's their daily spending money. And they would have to buy their meals. We didn't give them 
too little to spend. They didn't go hungry. But what it did is it made them manage their money. They couldn't buy the most expensive thing on the menu every time because they had a certain amount of money to work with. And then if they wanted to save some of that money, they could for something that might come up later on in the vacation. And what we found is not only did it help them manage their money, but they started pooling their money together so they could, you know, buy a packet of candy rather than an individual bar or something. And it became a very interesting way for them to learn how to manage their own budget at a very young age. That's a great idea. I'm thinking back to a recent vacation we took, and we were focused more on the weekly budget. So dialing it down per day, is you make a great case that that makes a lot of sense because ultimately that's how we live every day. So let's talk about that last phase. We've only got a few minutes left, preparing for retirement. We're all going to face it. And as we mentioned, you should start to save at a very, very early age, and that will benefit you greatly when you turn 59 and a half or 65. But when you're getting closer to retirement, you need to max out your retirement savings. Take those IRAs or those 401ks, put as much money in as you possibly can toward the latter years. And also, when you do come close to retirement, do as much as possible, pay off your debt. You do not want to have debt when you enter retirement, whether that's credit card debt, whether that's a car loan, whether that's a house loan. Pay all those loans off before you retire, and you'll make your retirement a whole lot easier. And as we've talked about, when it comes to throughout every phase of your life, it's sometimes good to get the work or the tips from a financial advisor, especially when you're going into retirement. That's kind of a hazy time. No one knows how long they're going to live and exactly how much money they need, and financial consultants or advisors can sure lend a lot of support and open up your eyes to what you may need. What's really interesting, and i got to emphasize this because I've had quite a few clients over the last couple of months that reached out that were contemplating retirement, wondering if they could retire now. And what's amazing, when you look at the threats to retirement, longevity, health care, inflation, market volatility, all these things, sometimes just working another year or two can make a huge swing as to the viability of that retirement and that money lasting as long as you do because it's a huge swing when you're drawing on accounts versus letting them grow. With things like Social Security, being able to maximize that by maybe putting it off a little bit longer. And if we think about retirement, when it was first invented, the odds of us even living to retirement age The statistics show that life expectancies ended before 65, even when they invented Social Security. So as long as you're able-bodied, some people might want to consider working a little bit longer. We really appreciate, Bill, that you took this time today to share some of these tips for not only financial literacy, but also getting on the right step financially for people and different things they can consider at different stages of life. Why don't you just share with our listeners a little bit? You've got a very unique website that allows people to shop credit cards. Tell us a little bit about that and how can people get more information. The credit card industry is a very complex one. There are over a thousand different credit cards out there. They all have different terms and fees. They have different features and benefits. So it's pretty confusing to people. And I think there's a stigma about it that credit cards are a very bad thing. Well, if they're used properly, i.e. you pay off your balance each and every month on time in full, credit cards can actually make you money. 
And that's what our website does, is it kind of gives you tips on how to use a credit card properly and prudently. It gives you tips on how to analyze the thousand different credit cards that are out there. We rank order them in different categories. So it's really a consumer resource site. It's absolutely free to people, and it's lowcards.com. Thanks so much. That's a great tool, and hopefully our listeners will check that out because I cannot imagine the sea of different features and options that are out there. Of course, most of us probably default to the few that trickle to us in the mail, sometimes more than we want, but better to have a resource like you offer to really sort through all the different various options out there. Bill, this has been a pleasure today. We really covered all those stages of life and significant considerations. Doesn't mean you should go it alone. Don't forget you always can seek the counsel of a professional advisor, and we'd love to have you back someday, so thanks for joining us. Well, Jim and Tony, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and you guys have a great day. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information would be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button.